King David was walking around the roof of his palace and saw a woman bathing in her home. Her name was Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier named Uriah, who was off fighting in the war. David thought she was beautiful and sent his messengers to get her. They brought her to him, and David and Bathsheba slept with one another. Shortly after, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was pregnant with David's child. To hide what he had done, David quickly devised a plan. He called Uriah back from the war, hoping that he would sleep with Bathsheba, and it would look like he had gotten her pregnant. But when Uriah came home, he slept on a mat outside his house because he didn't want to disrespect his fellow soldiers still at war by living comfortably while he was at home. So David came up with another plan. He sent Uriah back to the battlefield and instructed the commander to put Uriah on the front lines of battle, where he was most likely to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Shortly after, David married Bathsheba, and she gave birth to their son. But God was unhappy with David and sent Nathan to tell him a story. There were two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb who was like a child to him. Now a guest comes to the home of the rich man, but instead of taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, the rich man steals the poor man's one sheep and kills it. David was furious. This man must die for what he has done, David said. Then Nathan said to David, "You are the man." David immediately realized how wrong he had been and confessed to Nathan and to God all of the things he had done. Even though God forgave David, there were still terrible consequences because of his actions. David and Bathsheba's infant son became sick and died. Then, years later, their second son, Absalom, did something no one, even David, expected. He gathered an army together to overthrow his father as king. Before the battle began, David gave instructions to his soldiers not to kill Absalom. But during the battle, Absalom was riding a mule under the thick branches of a large oak tree, and his hair got caught in the tree, leaving him hanging as the mule rode away. One of David's commanders, Joab, found Absalom, and despite David's instructions, he and his soldiers drove their spears through Absalom and killed him. Because of this, David was heartbroken, wishing that it had been him who died instead of his son. Even after these tragedies, David continued to worship God. He had not forgotten about God's promise to one day build the temple. So David told his son Solomon that he was to start building it. In his final days as king, David led the Israelites in worship of God for all of the ways that God had helped them and provided for them over the years. Then, shortly before his death, David handed over his kingship to Solomon. Good morning, everyone. Next generation interns. What an incredible year we had here at City Church with them. Uh, when the next generation interns started in the fall in August, uh, we were running a little over 400 people. 
And uh, we finished the month of May averaging 621 people. In the last nine months, City Church has grown 200 people. Can you give God a big hand? Come on. Everyone said, that's amazing. Come on, say, that's amazing. Think about it, if your bank account grew that much, whatever that, 35, 40% in nine months. That's, that would be, those are incredible returns in the stock market. You know that. And uh, we are so grateful for all that God's doing through our intern program. It's been an incredible year. We got Derek Duncan. We've just brought on staff here at City Church. He's going to be working full time with the interns for our coming 2014, 2015 year. And Derek, we're great. We're very, very, very grateful that you are part of the team today. How's everyone doing this morning? Are you ready to receive from God? Are you ready to hear? All right, you're gonna have to help me out a little bit here. All right, once you to turn in your Bibles this morning to First Kings, First Kings chapter three. We are in a series that we've been doing for a long time. This is the longest series that I've ever done in my life, other than maybe a Sunday school class. I don't think I've ever done a Sunday school class this long. This is an amazing series. It's called The Story. We started in Genesis, and we've just literally walked through the books of the Bible. We've looked at the main characters and the main stories of the Bible, and we've got this upper perspective, this God perspective, how God views history. And then we bring it all the way down to our lower story, our life, how we walk this out on a daily basis. Today, I'm speaking a message entitled, The King Who Had It All. The King Who Had It All. I'm going to be talking to you about a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon is one of the most unique characters of the Bible. He's, I have wrestled and rap, wrangled and, and really tried to grapple with this message for two weeks now. And I'm going to ask the Lord to really help me to communicate the power of this truth to us in just a moment. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want you to stand with me this morning. 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read some selected verses. Uh, here's the deal, guys. I, I read the Bible. I read the Bible because I believe that the Bible has the power, if you read it and you apply it, it has the power to change your life. I believe the Bible is God's Word. Here, listen to me. The Bible just doesn't contain the words of God. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is. And the Bible, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but these words will abide. They will live forever. This story that we're about to read is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the longer that you live, what you realize in life is that every person that you meet, every person in your life that works for you or that's over you in some way, or your parents, or your teachers, or whoever it is, every person in life, there are some things that you can learn what to do and what not to do. Every person. We're, there's always things where there's always something good that we can learn from someone, and there's always some things that we can learn to steer from in a person's life. The Bible makes it plain. The Bible lays out Solomon's life. We're going to read the beginning of his life, and then we're going to switch over to 1 Kings chapter 11, and we're going to read the conclusion of his life. But let's begin with 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number 1. And the Bible says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David, or Jerusalem, until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Now, I want you to skip down to verse number four. And the Bible says, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give to you. 
Ask. Everyone say ask. Ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Verse number six. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I'm only a little child. He was 20 years of age at the time and do not know how to carry out my duties. God, I'm over. I'm way over my head. What in the world am I doing here? Your servant is here among the people you've chosen. A great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart. One translation says, give your servant an understanding heart. You know what that means? It means, God, help me to understand how the people feel. Help me to, gra- help me to really grasp how the people feel in relationship to the laws and the things that I'm going to do. Give me a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? What a humble prayer. What a humble request. And the Lord was pleased. Everyone say pleased. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, since you've asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administrating justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone, anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Now I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, and we're going to begin with verse number 1. 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Everyone say, that's a problem. A big problem. Beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Emonites, Sinonites, and Hittites. They were from nations which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because you will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. I want to say, oh, really? (laughs) 700! Oh, my. What was he thinking? Wow. This is in the Bible. This is this Bible just makes a point. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, Molech, the detestable god. Molech was the god where they would basically throw their babies into a fire. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Did you hear that? Solomon did what? He did what? Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Now, verse number 9. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Transitions are tricky. Transitions are tricky. David transitioned 
a kingdom that was at peace to his son Solomon. But Solomon, because he turned his heart from the Lord, was not able to transition his kingdom to his son. Here's my big idea this morning. Here's the, this is what I want you to hear today. God, God wants you to live well and finish strong. God wants you to live well and finish strong. Our pastoral prayer this morning is for a sister church right here in our community. Pastor Victor and Tina Montalvo, they pastor at the Reality Community Church, not too far from here, right here in the Sanford community. We love churches that preach the gospel. We love partnering with other like-minded ministers. Pastor Victor, actually, and his wife, they were the very first youth pastors here at City Church, or the second youth pastors many years ago when we were in Altamont Springs. And we're going to pray for the Reality Community Church this morning. Can you join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the power of your word that brings life and hope. Thank you today for every person that's here, that you've given them an ear to hear, a hungry heart, a desire to even be here. And God, I pray that you'll open our hearts. God, I pray the truth will speak to each one of us. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing through Victor and Tina Montalvo and this great work that they're accomplishing right here in this community. We bless the Reality Community Church. I pray the favor of the Lord over them. I pray for salvations and people to be born again and to experience life. I pray for the resources that they need to advance your purposes and their generation. God, I bless them today. Now, Lord, I need your grace. I humbly come before you and say, God, give me a heart of discernment. God, help me to, de- to make the right decisions. God, I pray for your people this morning, even as I speak, that I would speak your words and not my words. God, by your spirit, God, you will enable us to leave this place, change people. I ask this in your wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated this morning. The year was 1998. We had been in Orlando for about three months and uh, we went to one of these great big malls that they have down by iDrive. It was my first experience, I believe, at going to one of those outlet malls. And, you know, those guys, those malls go on and on and on. And they're, they're huge. They're massive. And it was our first Christmas here. And so we went down to a little, little Christmas shopping. Keenan was three years of age. And Austin was eight years of age. And, and uh, so we were walking through the mall. And, and my wife wanted to do a little shopping on her own. And, and so she left me the task of watching the boys. <laughs> Everyone said, that's a problem. <laughs> That was a problem. Uh, you know, I love books, and if you've been around here, you know, i got an office full of books down here, and the library we have down, in the, uh, down here in the modular, and uh, a lot of those books came right out of my library, and I have another library at home, and I've always been a collector of books, and, and so there was, there was one of these bookstores, one of those super bookstores in the mall there, and so I walked into the bookstore, and I had the, t- the task of watching the two boys, and, you know, I was doing pretty good, I thought, and and then I started looking at a book and flipping through the pages. And, you know, Keenan was right next to me. He was three years old. He was right next to me. And I was just kind of, you know, you got one eye. You're kind of doing your looking. And then I got really enthralled in reading this book and kind of forgot where I was at. And then the next thing I look over and Keenan's gone. Now, if you've ever had your child kind of disappear, it's like a parent's worst nightmare. Is that right? Anybody ever had that experience before? You're like, it's like panic mode. I mean, you go, your heart rate, you know, goes from normal to like your blood pressure is over the top. Your head's pounding. You, the worst thoughts are coming into your mind. Someone's abducted my child. And, and I start to panic. 
And I mean, like, I'm running. Kenan! Kenan! I go out to the mall, and I'm running up and down the mall. Kenan! Kenan! I'm just, where's Kenan? And the Lord, as he comes, and she's got that look in her eye. What did you do? It was your job. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Costa was supposed to watch them. <laughs> and that in human nature, we want to blame someone else. You know, throw it off on an eight-year-old. Well, Keenan, he was somewhere in the bookstore there. He just walked a couple aisles over, but he was so little, hid behind somebody or some, you know, and obviously he's still here today. And so, so I didn't lose Keenan. Hey, man. Give me a big hand. I did good on that. I didn't lose him. But, you know, there's a tendency in all of us, there's a tendency in every single one of us just to compromise a little bit. There's a tendency in every single one of us just to kind of take our eye off the goal and off the prize and off the calling that Jesus has, has called us to. Every one of us. There's a, there's a proneness. There's a tendency in all of our hearts to go astray. Isaiah says all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all wandered at times. You know, the longer you serve the Lord, the, the longer you're in the faith, you know, it's easier to kind of get just pulled in by distractions and things of life and we start to, you know, what's it, you know, yeah, those weren't, those was bad a day, whatever, you know, we have all these thoughts and we take our focus off of the mission for which God called us. A couple of years ago, it was actually a little over a year ago, there was a really famous guy in our culture, you guys know him, they're going to put a picture up here, you guys know this guy, his name is Lance Armstrong, anybody ever hear of Lance Armstrong before? All right, come on, anybody ever hear of Lance Armstrong? All right, you, I, I, honestly, I would have never heard of cycling Unless it was for this guy. This guy put cycling, triathlons, superhuman, unbelievable, incredible men. He literally put them on the map. I mean, his, he ran and swam and rode bikes. and He was a seven-time Tour de France winner. Seven times. It had never been done in history. He was a cancer survivor. In 1995, he had, he had cancer and... Uh, and, I mean, it spread to his brain. It was, I mean, he should not be alive. The chances of him surviving were very, very slim. He had a strong human determination to win. Uh, years ago, my wife and I actually listened to his book on tape on a trip one time. And as we listened to the book, I, I was really surprised. I thought, you know, here's a guy with all these incredible feats and things that he's done. And he never gave God any glory. It was all about the human spirit and the ability to, to, to overcome. And he even talked a little bit about spirituality, but he felt like that wasn't for him, that he didn't need a God. He didn't need some higher power or other strength to help him do what he needed to do. He really claimed to be an atheist. He didn't just claim to be an atheist. He didn't know. He just claimed, you know, I just don't believe. And he lived his life that way. All along, he's winning races and championships and you know, there was kind of this rumble and this murmur and, you know, people talking about his life and, you know, he cheats and, you know, they didn't have the doping thing quite defined maybe, you know, when he first started racing. But, I mean, from 1995 to 2002, man, his life exploded. He exploded in fame and infamy and put cycling on the map. And it was amazing. Seven Tour de France's. It had never happened before. And especially by an American. Just an amazing guy. But there was always something a little bit shaky. 
Always something like this undertone. People would talk about it, and people in the industry, there was always the question, did he dope or didn't dope? It was kind of like the Sammy Sosa and the Mark McGuire thing back in the 1990s with the big home run flurries. Did they dope? Did they don't dope? They had kind of this undertow in, in his life, and, and he denied, and he denied, and he denied, and he denied. And, and then in 2012, the U.S. Cycling Association, they stripped him of all of his medals. I mean, they just said, you know what, we got proof, we know you did it. And the whole time, he looked in the camera, and he said, I didn't do it. I didn't, it wasn't me. I mean, other guys that he had doped with, other guys that have been on his team, they were going before the Senate subcommittees and saying he doped. And, you know, the, the, the commissioning agencies of, of, his, of his industry, and they were telling on him, and we know he did it. And he denied, and he denied, and he denied. And then in January 2013, he did something. He went on Oprah. And there was speculation, you know, what was he going to do? Was he going to confess, not confess? And, but he did something. You know what he did? He confessed. What everybody already knew, what everybody already believed in, I want you to hear these words. This is what he said. I am deeply flawed, and I'm paying the price for it, and I think that that's okay. I'm deeply flawed. I watched that interview. I actually watched both days. It was on, they had it t- two different days on the Oprah Network, and I watched that interview. Ah, you know, there's a lot of self-righteousness, and a lot of people don't. Yeah, he does. You know, and I, I thought, yeah, I get it. He denied, and he denied, and actually the only thing he could do was finally confess. I mean, it was really his only last option. It was his last option. But I looked at his life, and I thought, you know, the fact is, there's a little bit of Lance Armstrong in every one of us. A little bit. That propensity to lie, to cover up, to protect, to cheat, to get ahead. Just to, that self-interest. That, you know, there's just that potential. That potential because we have this fleshly nation. That we have this fleshly body. This sinful nature. The Bible says that we are born again. We become new creatures. We have new hearts. God makes us righteous in His sight. But there's this fleshly nature, and it's the thing that we battle in our life as believers. Now, Lance Armstrong, listen, he wasn't a believer, and and he wasn't a follower of Christ. And and what we see in his life is that, that sin, that sin is a cruel taskmaster. But sin isn't just a cruel taskmaster for the unbeliever. For the follower of Christ, if you choose, if you choose to disobey God, there's lots of pain. A friend of mine used to say it like this. If we allow cracks in our life, we'll end up with great big cracks. Everyone say cracks lead to gaps. Cracks in our lives morally. Cracks cracks in our life ethically. Cracks in our life in judgment and discernment. The things that we do in life have the potential, man, if we don't win, if we don't overcome, if we don't allow the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the presence of His Spirit to cause us to change and to live humbly and broken and yielded to Him, they can turn into great big gaps, lapses. It happens every day. Pastors, famous pastors, great men of God who've done incredible things for the kingdom had little cracks. Had little cracks. Had a secret part of their life. But folks, it isn't just in the pulpit. It's all the time in the pew. It's everywhere. It's everywhere we turn because we're fallen creatures. We have this propensity to try to do it on our own, to live for ourselves. See, the upper story is this. Here's the upper story. God uses imperfect people in imperfect ways to accomplish His purposes. 
God uses imperfect people in imperfect ways to accomplish His purposes. You see, here's the deal. There's only one perfect person. There's only one perfect king. There's only one person who walked on the face of the earth, who never sinned, who resisted the devil, who walked in complete obedience to the will of the Father, and His name is Jesus. Come on, everyone, say Jesus. When we look at the life of Solomon, it was an amazing life. I mean, at the age of the 20, he gets his kingdom. His father was a warrior, a battler. I mean, his father had subdued kingdoms. His father basically set everything up for him. I mean, it was like a t-ball situation. But the little ball, you know, little four-year-olds, and even, even when they're four, they're still having a hard time hitting the ball out there. But you're an adult. You can walk up there and just knock the ball off. I mean, it was a perfect setup. Kingdom at peace. He had money. He had resources. The, the people of Israel were united. It was the glory days for the people of Israel. They had this incredible king who was a passionate worshiper. Yeah, he made mistakes because God uses imperfect people in imperfect ways to accomplish his purposes. But God loved David. And when Solomon is born, listen to this. When Solomon is born, God says, I loved him. Actually, his name means beloved one or one that I love. That's the name. That's literally what it means. I love him. Solomon was born. Solomon came into this planet and God looked at this child who was the result of a broken marriage, a broken relationship. David having an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and then consenting to his murder like we saw in the video. But God redeems because that's the nature of God. The nature of God is to take that which is broken, to take that which is hurting, to take that which is all messed up and to make it into something, something good. See, that's the heart of God. The heart of God is to take what the enemy meant for evil and to turn it for good so that many could be saved. Solomon was born and God said, I love him. I love him. Isaiah 43, it's one of my favorite passages when the prophet Isaiah is speaking for the Lord. And he says, oh, I have called you by name, Jacob. I've created you. I've formed you. Don't be afraid. I have ransomed you. I called you by name. You're mine. See, the calling of Solomon was incredible. But the calling that God's placed on your life is incredible as well. You might not be a king over a nation or over a world, but God has called you to a purpose that only you can accomplish in this earth. See, God, God called Solomon and God calls you. But Solomon's commitment actually at the beginning was pretty phenomenal. When you look at the beginning of Solomon's life, man, he did things right. I mean, he walked humbly. He realized that he couldn't do it all. He was a man of prayer. I mean, he has at least two times, maybe three times, that God comes and speaks to him. I mean, it was clear. God spoke the first time we just read in 1 Kings 3. God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, ask me for whatever you want. Here's the deal. God comes to you by His Spirit. And the Bible says that Jesus said, Ask, and you shall receive. Ask, and you shall receive. Solomon had a great big ask. Everyone say ask. He had a big ask inside of him. I mean, his heart was big for the kingdom of God. Now, don't say that three times real fast. But Solomon had a big ask inside of him. I mean, he wanted the purpose of God. He wanted to live God's plan for his life. He was a man who was passionate in prayer. Everything he did, he went after for the kingdom. I mean, he was a man who knew how to pray. He was a man who did great exploits. He built the kingdom for God. 
I mean, he did these incredible things. He built cities. He, he built communities. He did all this wonderful things. The Bible said that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs and over 1,000 songs. I mean, he, he, was, he, was, he was the man. He was the man. He, 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 was that, he was that quintessential man. You know, he could do it all. He could write. He could sing. I mean, he did everything. He built kingdoms. He made money. He made lots of money. He was a master at commerce and trade and political alliances. But he had a problem. He had a problem. He, everything for Solomon was about expediency. Get the job done. No matter what it took, get the job done. It's all about expediency. Get it done. A little compromise here. Cut a little corner here. Take this wife. Take that wife. All that wife stuff. If you, just, if you read historically, it was all about alliances with other nations. Alliances that he should have never made. Taking these wives. And I mean, guys, everything Solomon did was over the top. A thousand? <laughs> you can't even, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, one. Thank you, Jesus, for one. One. All right? Everyone say one. One man, one woman. That's the way God designed it. Thousand. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. He did some incredible things. He did some incredible things. But the Lord told, the Lord told the children of Israel, when you go into the land and you ask for a king, even though I should be your king, when you ask for a king, make sure that he's not a foreigner. Make sure that he's not a foreigner. Don't allow him to amass great wealth or gold. Don't take too many horses. And Deuteronomy 17 says, and don't allow him to take too many wives. Because if he does, they will turn his heart away from God. And that's the deal here, guys. These things that God gave him, this great blessing that God gave to Solomon became the curse. I mean, the blessings of God, the benefits of the Lord, the peace that God brings into your life, the favor that He puts upon you, and God's favor is on you. If you're a follower of Jesus, hear me today, if you're a follower of Jesus, the favor of God is on you. Do you know why? Because the Spirit is in you. And where the Spirit of God is, where the grace of God is, there is righteousness, joy, and peace. Where the Spirit of Jesus is in our life, God, I'm, I'm telling you guys, God's favor is upon you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? You might not believe that because you just don't believe it yet. But if you believe, man, the benefits of walking with God, there's nothing like it. How can we, how can we even imagine going back? Something happened to Solomon. I mean, something happened. He got to 40 and he'd done everything. Tried everything. Got to 40 and accomplished all these great accomplishments. Gets the forties, like ah, you know that's looks fun. We have this whole book of Ecclesiastes where, man, it's just Solomon experiment, experimenting with everything, experimenting with pleasure, experimenting with sex, experimenting with wine, with drink, whatever, whatever the world of that generation. He just did it all, and this is what he says about doing those things: vanity, emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. See, that's where life leads us without God. Lance Armstrong, come on, ask Lance Armstrong. He had it all. You know how much money he was making a year? A hundred million dollars a year. A year. He had it all. Bam. Wow. 
That's the final result. But listen, there's a greater danger than losing earthly possessions. The greatest danger of all is that we lose our soul. I mean, oh, Jesus said, oh, what would it gain a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Gains nothing. Gains nothing. I mean, this slide downwards was just, here's the deal. He was just disobedient. He had bad relationships. He aligned himself with the wrong people. Listen, young person, older person, don't kid yourself. The people that you spend the most amount of time with, they're going to have an influence on your life. They will. I mean, if you spend your time with believers and you spend your time with people that are pouring into your life and then you're going into the job site and you're pouring into your friends who don't know Christ, that's one thing. But when you find yourself starting to hang out with people and to do the things that you know aren't right, that's bad. It takes you down a bad trail. He tolerated false worship. All these pagan women, they came into, the, they came into Solomon's court and they came into his house and they brought all their gods Solomon tolerated all kinds of worship, kind of universalism. You know, the little bumper sticker that's got the crescent moon and the cross and the star of David and the aster or whatever. You know, it's all good. Any all pathways lead to God? No, 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 no. <laughs> There's only one good. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we look at the life of Solomon, we're like, oh my God, there's some things... There's some things that we don't want to do. I mean, it was just, you know, this is gradual progression. He neglected his time with God. You know, when you, how does it look in your life? You know, you start neglecting your time with the Lord. Bible reading, man, maybe you pick up your Bible once a week. Maybe or maybe the first time you read your Bible this week was you read it off the screen. You know, you're a believer and you know that this word is your source of life, but you've lost your love for it. You know, going to church and being with other believers and getting in a small group. Ah, you know, hey, man, I want to go down and watch the soccer match. Americans are in love with soccer. I didn't know that now, but I guess we're in love with soccer now. I watched my first soccer game. That's a long match, man. Wow. That's a Yeah, I'll go to the bar. You know what? Losing that intensity. Giving, sir. Ah, man, they got lots of people down at the city church. They got all those people. Look at all those people, all those services. Losing your passion to give, to share your faith. Those are all indications that we're losing, that we're, we're following that downward slide. Compromise settles in. Compromise begins when we leave our first love. You know, I drove across the bridge. And I, I just had this thought. My wife has gone through a couple of surgeries. And, and I thought, you know, the doctor went in and he did his very best. The doctor did his very best to remove the cancer. You know, the Bible says that this word is like a sword. This word is like a sword. And, and sometimes as a pastor, as a pastor, I use a sword and want to, you know, help get the cancer out of people's lives. That's okay. But God spoke to my heart. <laughs> What about your own heart? What about your own heart? I try to look compromises, little my little things in my life over the years. I, I see, you know, I'm 51. I was telling Pastor Glenn earlier that, you know, the, you're 28 now, man, but keep going. Keep doing the right things till you're 38. Make 38 your goal. When you get to 38, make 48 your goal. And when you get to 48, get 58. Because we want to finish strong. But the only way we can do it is by keeping our focus. Keeping our focus keeping our passion. See, Solomon did some good things. 
I mean, he did some really good things. I mean, he pursued life with a passion. He, he accomplished great things for God. He, he, but he started hanging out with the wrong people. People, places, and playthings in your life can become a distraction and pull you in the wrong direction. And ultimately, ultimately, all of his privilege and all of his possessions left him completely empty. I mean, what's really going to make you happy? What's really going to make you happy in your life? Right job? You know, the right house? Right perfect husbands? Right perfect spouse? Perfect kids? I mean, what's really going to make you happy? How do you keep fixed on the goal? How do you keep running the race so we don't end up like Solomon? Because i got to tell you, a lot of people, myself included, man, the potential for me to be a Solomon is there just as, as much as it is for you. I've got to allow this word to be a mirror and not walk away and forget the things that I've just read or the things that I've just preached. Because here's the fact, guys. It's way easier to preach ten sermons than it is to live one. It's way easier for me to get up here and shout and preach. I can do ten times for me to live this out one time. That's the challenge. And it is for you, too. Parents, listen, you can tell your kids, tell your kids, but listen, your kids will become and do what they see you doing. That's a fact. It's a fact. It's a reality. So how do we finish strong? How do we do it? The writer of Hebrews says it like this. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes. One translation says, by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The champion and the initiator, the one who perfects our faith. How do we do it? We become dependent on Jesus. See, Solomon, he did some good things. When he started out, oh God, this is too big for me. God, I can't do this without you. I mean, you're in your relationship with God. How do you keep fixed on Jesus? How do you focus on Jesus, the champion, the initiator, the perfecter of your faith? How do you do it? You know how you do it? You keep depending. I don't care how much comes your way. I don't care how much or how little. I mean, you just say, Jesus, I'm dependent on you. I mean, I'm dependent. I need you, Jesus. I need you to help me. I pray this prayer. Oh, God, help me to be a better father. My boys are 18 and 23. Oh, God, help me. It's harder today than it was when they were little. Way harder. I mean, because they can actually beat me up now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> they're bigger, they're stronger, they're smarter, they're better educated. Oh, God, I need wisdom. God, I need wisdom in my relationship with my wife. Help me to treat her the way that I should treat her. God, I got so many. Yesterday, Friday, somebody's in my office talking and God, I mean, I didn't say it exactly the way. You never, sometimes words don't come out of your mouth the way that you want them to. Anybody ever have that happen before? I'm like, I go, I'm like, what did I just say? I want to call him up. You know, that was an accident. Let's, can we do a repeat on that one? But I, you know. <laughs> Why? Because you need wisdom. Solomon, he was dependent upon Jesus. It, listen, if you are going to keep finished, you're, you're going to finish the race. You're going to, you're going to run strong to the end. You've got to become dependent on Jesus. You gotta resist the temptation to compromise. And it starts little. A little cheating, a little lying, a little too long on a television station, a little too much searching on the internet. Resist that temptation to compromise. You can. You can. You can resist. Peter says, resist the devil, and he will flee. Resist. Joseph, he just ran. 
He, he ran from temptation. And keep your eyes. Keep, keep your eyes fixed and run the race. Run. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. The champion of your soul. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because I have decided to follow Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because I have decided to follow Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because I have decided to follow the champion of my life. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. This morning is Communion Sunday. You have a little cup in front of you. Hopefully you have it in your hand this morning. Worship team, are you up here? morning you have a wafer in your hand that represents the body of Jesus. How do you win? How do you finish strong? Keep your eyes fixed on the finished work of Jesus. Keeping your eye fixed on the finished work of Jesus. Wow. Can you take that wafer and just take a moment? The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. The Lord is here. His grace is here. God wants to help you to finish strong. His Spirit is in you. His favor is on you. God's speaking to your heart this morning. Just take just a moment. Allow the Spirit of God to search us. Like David said, God, see if there's any wicked way. Or see if there's any compromise in me. Before we partake of the bread and the cup, in your own heart, in your own moment, ask the Lord to search you. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Jesus, thank you that you're the bread of life. In our hands this morning, we hold, we hold that rep- represents everything you did for us. You went to the cross. Lord, you said, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. But we want to finish strong. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the grace that's available today that we can keep our eyes fixed on you. Thank you that you're the bread of life. Lord, that when we eat of this bread this morning, it's a remembrance to us, a reminder to us that we don't have to compromise. We have your strength. We have your grace to be people who overcome, people who live by grace through faith. Thank you, Jesus. We take of this bread and we break it and we eat. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, let's eat the bread that represents Jesus' body. The Bible says that he took the cup. (laughs) Jesus made a decision to go to the cross for you and I. He said to the Father, Father, I've decided. He made that decision to lay my life down. Jesus said, no one one made me do it. He said, I willingly did it for you. Jesus says to you today, gave his life 
gave his life for you and me because of his blood that was shed in Calvary 2,000 years ago we can find forgiveness of sin we can find the strength of the spirit and the grace to live a life a life that's pleasing to him a life that finishes strong today Lord Jesus we made the decision to follow you because of that Lord we take this cup and we drink in the name of the Father the Son the Spirit let's drink in this cup this morning there's no turning down I have decided to follow Jesus come on let's see I have